Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're on Team Human, conscious intervention in the machine. We thought we'd drop something special into the feed right now. It's a talk I did on April 26, 2023 at Betaworks for a terrific organization called All Tech is Human. I guess you can understand the premise of that organization from that <laughs> from their name. Um, they're really looking at how do we encourage more pro-human uses and development of technology and maybe starting with the premise that all technology is an extension of human beings and human thoughts and desires and systems uh, may be a good way uh, uh, a good starting place from which to envision uh, these better techno futures. Um, this is a really fun talk for me. It was kind of a homecoming after a few months of doing podcasts and talks and things about survival of the richest. It's always the tour around a book really helps me understand what the book was about and how it's received and really where, where our, our where our culture is regarding kind of what I'm what I'm thinking and writing about. And I really enjoy kind of the 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 last talk that I do about a book, which is what this is. It's really the last talk. It's where I've ended up on my whole survival of the richest journey. And it was great to do it as a kind of a homecoming at Betaworks and with a real home crowd, like all tech is human. So I hope you enjoy it. You know, I I don't necessarily like tech bros, but I like talking with tech bros and at tech bros because they're easy to upset. You know, and that's then the main way you upset them is by asserting either their humanity or everyone else's humanity. That's that's the whole thing. I mean, the the I mean the the obligatory story um, of this book is this, uh, uh, and it's gotten painted weirdly by the media like I was taken out to a James Bond secret headquarters of a bunch of tech bros who wanted advice on planning their bunkers and all. The, the reality is I was invited out, I mean, we're friends, right? Um, I was invited out to a, a, it was this hedge fund that invited like their 50 or their 100 biggest billionaire investor people to this weekend 
and they had like a celebrity chef, they had a pro golfer, they had a swim guy, they had like these different, and, and they had a menu, and the billionaire dudes signed up, like, okay, so, you know, Thursday, 11 a.m., you had a choice, right? You can get your hair done, you could work on your golf swing, or you could talk about futurism with Douglas Rushkoff, right? <laughs> so this is why there were only five dudes, right? I thought I was supposed to go out there to do this talk on the digital future, you know, what I usually do, and just try to make people angry, you know, wealthy people upset by telling them what this technology is for and all that, and their business plans are stupid and why they're killing the world. Um, you know, I've got my great, it's basically I get hired as a kind of intellectual dominatrix by wealthy people, you know, and tell them what they're doing wrong, and they're like, thank you, sir, may I please have another, right? You know, the ones who don't have time to do the full ayahuasca trip, they just come to me. <laughs> I harsh their mellow for an hour and then they go back to killing people. Um, but what I do, see the reason why I find it fun, maybe I am an intellectual dominatrix, is I just love to tweak them. I, I hear their stupid thing and then I try to challenge it in a way that gives them the opportunity to see what they're doing is stupid. But nine times out of 10, they just double down on the thing. Right, so this was this, this, I thought I was doing a talk and they, they were just you know, peppering me with all these really binary questions that they ask people that they think are smart. You know, like do I bet on, on Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? Augmented reality or virtual reality? And I'm not the person you ask that, right? I would have said CompuServe, not AOL, right? Betamax, not VHS. I'm, you know, I vote for the better technology usually, not the thing that wins. Um, so I'm the wrong person to ask those, but they're asking me those things, and then finally they got to that question, you know, Alaska or New Zealand, right? Which is the better place to put their bunker? And I was like, ooh, this'll be fun, right? These are crazy tech bros, right, who are the, have their bunker. So I start trying to tweak them to the point where they realize their idea is stupid. I'm like, so where are you gonna be getting the water? And is it gonna be contaminated? I'm trying to sort of uh, uh, show them the fallacy of what they're thinking. I'm like, well, how are you gonna guard this place from the rest of us, right? Didn't you see the Twilight Zone? Everybody's banging on the door of the, of the bomb shelter. And they're like, oh, well, we've got Navy SEALs that are coming. You know, they're on standby. They're fully gassed helicopters, you know, in standby mode, ready to come. And they're, oh, Navy SEALs, right? Oh, so. How are you gonna pay for your Navy SEALs? Like, oh, well, we've got millions of dollars. So how are you gonna pay for your Navy SEALs after your money is worthless because the apocalypse has happened? Right? So one of the guys opens his little moleskin book and he's like, how to pay for the Navy SEALs after the thing. <laughs> Right? And they start going through these iterations of like, oh, well, you know, well, we could have the, the we, I'll be the only one who knows the combination to the safe where we keep the food. It's like, oh, Navy SEALs have never had to right, get information out of anybody, right? You're gonna spend your apocalypse getting waterboarded, right? You know, I mean, it was just on and on. So the, the further I tweaked them, the, the further they went into their, into their uh, insanity, right? They kept doubling down on that. And that's the thing I, I, I kind of want to teach people how to do. How do you tweak a tech bro and then to see if they're salvageable, if you can get them to see, you know, the human part, right? The all tech is human part of it? Or, or are, they, are they truly hopeless? And what, what I realized with these guys, and they are human, right? Is that these are not rational plans to escape the apocalypse. They're not, right? Climate change and global warming and economic disparity and all that, their, their fears, these are the excuses for them to build the things they've wanted to build all along. 
for their seasteading Mars mission, virtual reality, upload their mind, escape from us. That's what they've wanted from the beginning. I remember when I, I was with Timothy Leary when he read Stuart Brand's book, um, uh, what was it, Media Lab, about Nicholas Negroponte's Media Lab at, at where are you, at MIT? And, and he's, he's at MIT. Um, and, but he's like a, a, a spiritual person there. It's different. He's not, he's not one of them. Um, he's a human. Um, trying, anyway. Um, but he's reading this book, and I'm thinking he's loving it because he's circling everything in flare pens and all. And he gets to the end of this book about Media Lab, you know, the first, well, you guys know what Media Lab is. And he throws it across the room, and he goes, bleh, like he's vomiting. And I go, what, what? And this is like late 80s, by the way. And he says, first, less than 3% of the names in the index are women. Right? In the late 80s, most people didn't notice things like that. And he goes, this is, that's how you know they're on the wrong track. And he said, second, these guys are trying to recreate the womb. Right? Their mothers, he was a psychologist, their mothers were unable to anticipate their every, every need when they were babies, and now they want to recreate a technological womb that will anticipate their every need and bring it to them before they even know they want it. Right? The desire to disconnect. You see, I've always blamed capitalism for what happened to the net, right? I tell my story about Mondo 2000 and psychedelics and designer reality and fractals and rave and fantasy role playing and hypertext and hypercard stacks and you remember the net that we were gonna do, then Wired Magazine comes along and reframes it as a business phenomenon, right? Oh, this is the salvation of the NASDAQ stock exchange. We're in the middle of a long boom. The economy is going to expand exponentially, infinitely, forever, uninterrupted, globally, yay. Right? They believed it. Alan Greenspan even said, we're in a new paradigm. Right? It's all going to keep, just grow. And I was like, ugh. Right? What happens when you turn the net from a creative, uh, a, a creative source of new possibility into an investment opportunity? Well, you've got to reduce possibility down to probability. Right? Once you're betting on something, you want the probable outcome that you bet it on, not the unpredictable novel possibilities. So for me, the net kind of reversed at that point. It became less about being open and crazy and more about narrowing down. And we started, rather than thinking about these technologies as tools for people to use to express themselves, we started to think about them as tools to use on people to get them to behave appropriately to their statistical algorithm, right? We use tools on people instead of giving tools to people. So I looked at those reversals. But then when I think back on Leary and I look at these tech bros and realize, Oh, it's not that the money corrupted them. It's that the money and the finance dovetails. It supports their original vision, right? Because you think about what finance is. Finance is, most simply, finance is an abstraction on human interaction, right? I want to buy something from you. you want to, we want to have an exchange. What's the finance person do? I'm going to give them the money that they use to have that transaction. Right? They made local currencies illegal. This is all way back in medieval times. They made local currencies illegal so they could lend money to us for the transaction so we have to pay someone else. Then someone else looks at that and goes, oh, well, I'm going to make money off the bank by having stocks. Oh, I'm going to make money off the stocks by having derivatives. Right? So what, what we see is finance is successive layers of abstraction around actual exchange of value. You know, it got so bad, the New York Stock Exchange was actually purchased by its derivatives exchange in 2013. Right? The stock market, which is an abstraction of the market, which is an abstraction of human need, was consumed by its own abstraction. 
Why? Because it was amplified by digital technology, right? By ultra-fast trading and algorithms and all that. Because digital is what? An abstraction. An MP3 is not a song. It is a numerical representation of a song, algorithmically treated to make your ears think you're listening to music. But you're not, right? You're listening to an algorithm. And it's only in your ears, not even in your body. But that's not, let's not get human here, right? But the two things end up dovetailing. And they end up making it so that the original kind of tech bro science nerd need to separate from humanity and nature can be realized, right? The more abstract you go, the less you are, right? You're not here, right? You're, remember Zook in, in uh, his original meta, right? Yay, no balls to worry about, right? I'm just Caesar up there, right? Pure Caesar, right? So you go meta. Right? You go meta on reality. And this is, you all know, you know the, the original promise of empirical science in the late Middle Ages was what? Or, or Renaissance was Francis Bacon. And how did he sell empirical science? He said, science will let us take nature by the forelock, hold her down, and submit her to our will. This is what Trump's on trial for right now. <laughs> right? This is a rape fantasy, if I may use that word. The forelock is the hair. Hold her down by her hair and submit her to our will. That's what science is going to do. Let us control nature, which is this wild woman, right? Dark moon, woods, fairies, worms, soil, strangeness, complexity. Right? We're going to reduce it down to cause and effect, to nice little quantifiable. Anything we can quantify is here. Anything we can't is not. So Bacon did that to the natural world, right? Capitalism did that to labor, right, which is humans. So what do you end up with when we come into a digital age if we don't check that mentality at the door? Right? We end up with, well, first we got social media, which is what about what? About controlling human beings. Then we get artificial intelligence, which is really about replacing people. Although the way I like to think about it now, is social media was like the missionaries, right? The missionaries went to, to South America and the Americas first. They come, they soften up the people, convert them to Christianity, do lots of intelligence on how they think and how they work, send that intelligence back to the crown. Then who comes? Conquistadors, right? Social media was like the missionaries, but the AI are the conquistadors using all the information that they've gathered, and they come in for the kill. Thank you. You know, and I was funny, I was talking to one of those same tech bros about, about AIs, and he said, Rushkoff, I'm really worried about you. You write all this stuff that's critical of the AIs. What do you think they're going to do when they're in charge? <laughs> and he says, I don't write anything at all. I don't post anything. I say nothing about AIs. And I said to him, again, the tweet, well, if the AIs are so smart, aren't they going to be able to see that you selectively withheld any opinion about AI and be able to infer from that selective withholding how you actually feel? He's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> right? And you're right. You know, there are, there are these sort of two ways of looking at AI. There's even two camps that are afraid of AI right now. Right? There's the, the, the 
crazier, the tech bro camp that is afraid of the existential doom of AI, right? AI is going to, AI is going to rise before I get on my Mars rocket, right? That's why these guys signed that fucking thing. The first name's on there, right? The AIs are coming quick, you know, we're not gonna, they're going fast, right? We got just six months, six months to get my rocket going, right? Six months to get my mind up into, you know, Kurzweil's Google server, right? Just six months. Right, there's those guys. And then there's the people who've been afraid or upset about AI and algorithms all along. The people who are looking at, well, look at the way um, um, algorithms decide prison sentences and put black people in jail longer than white people. Why is that? Right, because of their sample. But I'm starting to think that, that the problem is when we, again, if we apply an all tech is human model to this. And I actually think all tech is nature, because I, I like beaver dams and stuff like that, I think of as, but that's another story. But if we apply the all tech is human model to AIs, all of a sudden you realize, what are, what are AIs? If they are essentially human, extension of human, rather than derivative and abstracted, what if we think of them as essential, as, as extension? Well, the thing that we, we look at AIs and we're upset, what we're upset about is that AIs basically amplify and, and exacerbate whatever are the embedded values in the data set that they're modeling, right? So if we give them marketing data and we give them that, then they become really good at marketing, right? Even if we try to give them good data sets, like we try to give the sentencing algorithms good data sets. They see through to our innate racism. So what's the choice then? I think we need to think about AIs the way we think about our children. Right? It doesn't matter what you tell your children. Right? What matters is they're sitting in the back seat and they see you curse at the person that just cut you off and that's what they absorb. Right? The data set on which we are feeding our AIs is us, is what we're actually doing. We have created a situation where we have a generation of very powerful children learning how to be based on how we are. Right? In some ways, we've given ourselves the ultimate test here. Right? We've created an instant tech karma machine. Right, the only way to raise appropriately behaving AIs is to begin behaving appropriately ourselves. We painted ourselves into a corner where we've got to start being nice to each other. We actually do. That's, that's the real choice. So then, you know, what, what I've been doing then is working on how do we do that? Right? How do we, and this is the troubling word, it's what word we can't use. And you would, as a, as a, 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 a rabbi, can I call you? Would, would, a pastor would understand. You can't get people to be nice. Once you even use the phrase, I want to get people to blank, you fucked up. Right? It's the tech bros who are trying to get people to do this and get people to do that because we know the solution and we're going to get people to follow it. I don't care how great the thing you believe is. Once you're trying to get someone to do it or get someone to believe it, you're manipulating. You've created the power differential. You fucked up. It's over. 
right now, you know better than them. And we'll just, we'll just mean, ends justifies the means as long as we get people to do that thing. So I'm thinking instead of that, and the, the language isn't exactly right yet, but rather than getting people to do something, which is just a, a kind of an artifact of digital industrialism or techno-solutionism, where we're using tech on people or using our ideas on people, I'm thinking more about how do we change the register? How do we change the environment? So rather than trying to move the water, you try to dig the ground so the water naturally goes somewhere else, right? How do we, how do we work on that? And so I came up really with four things, and I realized these are sort of the, the things that I've been working on for, for 20 years. The first one, the first way to do this is to denaturalize power. Right? And that's, it, it sounds fancy, but all I really mean is have people able to recognize the difference between uh, human uh, social constructions and conditions of nature. Right? When you say, oh, uh, oh, I gotta have a car because I need to get to work. Whoa, wait a minute, whoa. All right, why do you need a car to get to work? Because GM came and moved your work far away from your house, right? But why do you need to work? Because I need a job. Why do you need a job? When were jobs invented? Right? Jobs were invented very specifically in the late Middle Ages in order to prevent people from creating value themselves. They created chartered monopolies. So people started to work, be employed, and sell their time rather than their value. All those things. Central money. This is money. I got to earn money. Well, this is not money. Right? This is the paper that we use to represent a money system that is inherently exploitative. Right? This is time, is what this is. If it's closer to time than it is to money, this is an interest-bearing currency that has to be, that we, this requires us to grow the economy every year in order to support the bankers who make it. There's no reason for the GDP to grow. There's no reason. This, that's bullshit. Right? So you've got to every, be able to question those things. The only way you can question them, this is what I was really writing about in my book, Life, Inc., where did this thing come from? Who made it? Why did they make it? Where are they? Oh, they've long since left the building, right? We are running a 21st century economy on a 13th century economic operating system developed by monarchs who are afraid of the rise of the burghers or the middle class. And we're wondering why it isn't working, right? Once you're able to denaturalize power, right, to question these things, that should trigger agency, right? That's my second one. How do we trigger Agency. For me, agency was triggered. It was um, first time I used a, a real uh, a mainframe computer. I had to save a file. I remember the woman came over, the grad student. She's like, how do you want to save the file? Uh, uh, read only or read write? I'm like, what the fuck's a read write? <laughs> read write. It means you can save a file that someone else can then open it and edit it. Like, ooh, let's save read write. And then I start looking at TV and I go, well, TV is read only. Why isn't it read write? Money is read only. Religion is read only. Why isn't it read write? Because these were saved as read. They made laws to make them read only because if we read write, then we're participating. So all of a sudden, that moment triggered my agency to look at what else could be read write here? What else is up for discussion? What's not up for discussion? Why is it not up for discussion? And who's going to shoot me if I start discussing it? Right? That's what this program or program was about, right? If you are not doing the programming, so chances are somebody's programming you. Then the third one is you can't get any of this done alone. So the third one is re-socialize people, or I like better now, re-socialize the people, because it's got a little lefty uh, bite to it, <laughs> right? And that was sort of my whole team human idea that you don't go through this alone. You've got to establish rapport in order to have solidarity. The technologies that we're using were built intentionally to isolate us from one another. 
right? Even the ones that are really helping us connect, like Zoom, you don't really connect, right? You don't really make eye contact. I can't see if your pupils are getting larger or smaller when you say you agree with me, right? Can't see the micro motions of your head. So you say you agree. I don't feel it in my body. And what happens? It triggers distrust. Instead of mirror neurons firing and oxytocin going through my blood, you know, at best dopamine, but chances are uh, norepinephrine's gonna pop up, right? It's like watch Real Housewives. They're always there, you know. Well, the reason they can't, that's because they have so much Botox in their face that they can't make facial expressions that are consonant with what they're saying, but it's the same sense of distrust, right? You're not getting, we've, we've 500,000 years of painstakingly evolved cues for social bonding that are being defeated in all of our digital interactions, and we're not compensating for it. We're not even staying aware of it. So we re-socialize people, right? We break the whole tech bro bullshit mythology of that Darwin was talking about survival of the fittest individual, that Darwin and Ayn Rand or some, that's not what was Darwin was talking about. Darwin, read the Darwin. He's marveling page after page after page. Look how all these different species are collaborating and cooperating in order to ensure mutual survival. There's like three paragraphs on, on uh, uh, survival of the fittest. It's like one little, to be sure, paragraph, not, the rest of it is more like secret life of trees where all the roots are under the ground with mycelia sharing nutrients and, you know. The story, you were told it in middle school too, right? The big tree crowds out the little tree so it doesn't get sun, right? And then the little one, it's not what happens. The big tree is giving nutrients to the little tree during the summer, then it loses its leaves and the little evergreen then gives nutrients back to the big one. And it's mycelia, the mushrooms that teach them how to do it, right? But you give a tech bro mushrooms, it's just a tech bro on mushrooms. <laughs> I was so surprised, right? But back to Leary, it's set and setting, right? Right? Set and setting. Finally, though, the fourth one then is cultivate awe. And this is really undervalued in our society right now. This is kind of what my book Present Shock was about, was what happens when you don't get awe, right? That, that when, you, when you experience awe, you move from dopamine into oxytocin. We know now, scientifically, if you've had an experience of awe, you know, like a, a looking at a mountain, feeling that sense of one connection with everything else, when you've had an experience of awe, your cytokines respond, your, your immune system gets better, you're more generous for like three days after experience of awe, you actually give more money to other people. Interestingly enough, you know, billionaires, their they're, they're, uh, mirror neurons don't light up. They're, they... Billionaires are sociopathic. You put a billionaire, there's studies, they're in the book. You put a billionaire in an MRI machine and show them a picture of a starving baby and the part of the brain that for you and me lights up doesn't even light up anymore. Doesn't even go, right? And I would say it's more cause and effect. They didn't start out that way. I think in order to become a billionaire, you've got to get used to externalizing so much harm to others. <sighs> but you don't, you don't see it, right? But when you get connected to everything, you, you, it, it engenders something else. The other reason why I like cultivating awe is it's so distinctly human, right? The awe is that weird, unknown, squishy stuff, right? The awe is the weird, only human, uh, ineffable stuff that gives us a reason to be here that gives us a reason to say, yes, we humans need to be here in addition to whatever AIs you think are supposed to be our, our, our evolutionary successors. Human, I got in this argument with, um, with Kurzweil, where he was saying, Doug, you have to, you know, we gotta pass the evolutionary torch to the, to the machines, because that's what's happening. I'm like, no, but people are so weird and squishy and interesting, we can watch a David Lynch movie and not understand what it means and still experience that as pleasure. What is that, right? <laughs> An AI can't do that. And he goes, oh, Rushkoff, you're just saying that because you're human, right? Like it's hubris. 
I go, fine, guilty. I'm on team human. That's when, that's when I came up with that idea, right? But when you are, when you are connected to everything, when you, are, when you are denaturalizing power, triggering agency, re-socializing people, and cultivating awe, you realize that economics and technology, while interesting, they are the last resort for when things aren't working. The only reason to go to the economy, to go to the ledger, is if someone is being exploited. Wait, wait a minute, this isn't fair. Then you go, okay, let's look and see. You don't use the economy to orchestrate your civilization. You don't use your technology to figure out how you want people to be. You use technology when, oh, this is just too hard, I can't do it. Oh, here's a piece of tech to help you. Right? Oh, this feels unfair. Okay, let's use an economic model to see why it feels unfair to you. Right? The, the bias of the inhuman digital media environment is from possibility toward probability. Right? From possibility to probability. You find the most, and it's hard to argue against probability. Right? Well, vaccine science, probability. Right? You want to do the thing that's most probably right. And the more we listen to the machines, the more we will do the things that are most probably right, but at the expense of the improbable, at the expense of the possible. Right? That's why I wanted to call this about don't auto-tune me. The temptation with digital tech is to auto-tune reality toward what we know is the right note. And I get it. For Ariana Grande, and she's selling her music, she's a good capitalist singer, lovely thing, right? She wants to hit that, ah, right? We're going to use all and we're going to get it right there, honey. You're going to be exactly on that 440 megahertz A. It's perfect. But what about if you're going to auto-tune James Brown? Imagine that. James Brown, he's reaching up for the net. Ah, he got that note. Oh, sorry, James. Not, ah, it's, ah, you're going to auto-tune you, right? Because we want the signal. The signal is that note, right? The signal is the exact note, and the rest of that's your noise. When we all tech is human, we realize, no, 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 no. The note is the noise. The note, everyone does the same. The signal is James Brown reaching up for the note. The signal is to hear the human being on the other side of the song. That's the whole point of the music. Not the notes, but the singer, but the player. That's the human, right? The medium, right? <laughs> the medium is the message, right? The song is the excuse, is the grid that we use to have this other human on the other side, right? When you, when you look at a Van Gogh, I mean, yeah, we can get an AI to make a perfect Van Gogh-like thing. Why is that not interesting? Because you don't look at a Van Gogh for the pattern on your retina, you look at the Van Gogh to think, who was that tortured soul on the other side of this painting? What was he thinking, and why do I feel that way too sometimes, right? You're connecting to that person, not to an algorithm. You could use it for wallpaper, maybe, but not, right? When you're reading, you know, I, I, I was just reading, I was reading Beckett the other night, because I just saw they, they did this uh, great production of Endgame, reading Beckett the other night, and 
this, this novel, I don't know if you know, Malloy, it's this great novel by Beckett, Samuel Beckett, the playwright. And I was reading it, and this does happen to me, I'm reading this book, and there's a part of it that I'm like, he wrote this for me. This sentence, he wrote this one for me. And that was, I promise you, that was Beckett's soul alive in that moment, the human soul of Beckett connecting with mine. We did. That was time travel. That was human-to-human -human interaction that, 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 that goes beyond the clock. It goes beyond, it goes beyond everything, right? That was me connecting with his soul and through the technology of a codex book, right? And all these technologies can do that. They can all do that if we remember, right? If we remember that, as you would say, all tech is human. Okay, thanks a lot. And that was me on April 26, 2023 at Betaworks talking at an All Tech is Human event about my book, Survival of the Richest. It really wasn't about the book so much as kind of where I ended up after talking about it for a while. And you can hear the uh, uh, last few monologues of Team Human really in the end of this uh, uh, the end of this talk, and uh, where I've kind of ended up in a, in a post-techno-solutionist understanding of how to uh, uh, help engender a, uh, a more pro-human, pro-life, <laughs> pro-everything uh, society. Uh, we'll see you soon on the next regular Team Human episode. Thanks for listening to this little special drop in our feed.